0: Friends, today is um, what I call Letter Sunday. It is uh, once a year on the anniversary of my installation that I write out a letter to you, North Holland. And usually I move around a little bit and I'm behind the pulpit. In this case, I'm going to sit here on the stool and just read the letter to you. Part of this was to break up the routine of usually when pastors take a stool and start reading something, it means they're saying goodbye. And we were just trying to break that up a little bit. So I'm just giving you that reminder now because as much fun as it would otherwise be to watch your reactions of me putting the stool up and some people go, (gasps) and others go, yes! Um, I don't want to be tempted to look for the people going, yes! And change how I pray for them, no. Um, So with Hebrews chapter 9 before us, um, we're reading Hebrews 9 as I get to celebrate nine years of being pastor in this place and a letter to share with you all this morning. As Katie explained, though, that's part of our theology, is that we pray, we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. And so we'll do that today before we read Hebrews 9. It's a long chapter, and it's dense, and some of it covers territory that we've already covered or will cover again as we go into chapter 10 and a little bit of 11. So we're only going to read through verse 14, and we'll stop there today. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. But before we do so, let's pray. Lord, with those words of Psalm 46, verse 10, fresh in our ears and in our hearts, may we be still and know that you are God and that you will be exalted among the nations, you will be exalted on the earth. So as we receive your word, as it is your word that matters with all centrality. May our hearts be ready to receive it, to embrace it, to mull it over, and to place it deeply into our hearts so that we might be more like you, Jesus, that we might be encouraged, that we might be challenged. And all of this, a gift from your Holy Spirit through your living word. So help us now in this moment to simply be still, know that you are God, that we are not, and that you long to speak to us today. In the, na- in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came... As high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter it by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption." and on the screen today, we'll keep those verses up. There's three verses, because there's a lot that we could cover in this letter. You might have heard, even in the description of the tabernacle, it's like, oh, that's all the stuff mentioned in the, le- the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. There's all kinds of things going on here. But today, with the first verse in mind there, Hebrews 9.5, we cannot discuss all these things in detail now. So these three verses will be our focal points to come back to. So I invite you to hold on to them as center points today. My dear North Holland, summer of 2014, I was in a coffee shop in Sioux Center, Iowa, with a friend of mine. He had just accepted a call to his first church, and I was headed back to Michigan the next day and would soon be installed as the next lead pastor of North Holland Reformed Church. In the naive confidence of youth, with our seminary graduation fresh in our minds, we both promised each other that we would stay at our first call for a certain number of years, and we agreed on the same number. We were idiots. What did we know? Absolutely nothing. Yet, he is still there, and I am still here, and we have not yet completed the number of years at our first church that we agreed on that day nine years ago. So I guess we're on track. I'll pick him up from the airport this evening, actually, and we will both be quick to jump at reminding the other of that earnest yet foolish promise that we made to one another, and implicitly, without your knowledge, that we made this promise to our churches in Michigan and South Dakota, when we knew absolutely nothing. We only had the book-smart version of what being a pastor would be like. I won't tell you how many years we agreed on, on the basis of Hebrews 9-5. We cannot discuss these things in detail now. What I do know is that some of you might be hoping that it's a big number, and others of you are hoping beyond hope that if this happened nine years ago, what are the odds of that the number Stephen and his friends settled on was 9.1 years? Suffice it to say, you're not rid of me yet. But the reality is, pastors get old over time. Not just chronologically, so as to be teased for our aging, but pastors get old. As we get used to our pastors, I experienced this growing up in the church. As we get used to our pastors, we either grow fond of or sick of them. New pastors have a certain power of interest. New churches have a certain power of appeal, yet both fade over time. Eventually, what was new just gets old, like everything else. And the power of interest and appeal in pastor and in church is highly overrated. Hebrews tells us as much, and we know in our heads why, right? Because where is the true power? We read it, and we sang it. There is power in the blood. Power in the blood. There's not, it's not about the pastor. It's not in the congregation, but it is in the sacred blood of Jesus. That's where the real power is, not in the charisma, personality, or style of a pastor, not in the worship style, program offerings, or volunteer opportunities of a congregation. All of the stuff of churches matters, but only to the degree that it's putting us in touch with the living Christ, because the true power is in the blood of the Lamb. There is power in the blood. Hebrews 9 drives that home again and again and again. There is power in the blood, and blood involves sacrifice and sacrifice involves pain or loss or a mix of pain and loss and we've experienced losses here in my time here i've officiated over 50 funerals we've experienced losses here in the year since my last letter we saw marge and Marlene Vandenbosch go on to glory, old and full of years, and yet that's still a loss. Bob Kleiss went far too young and all too suddenly. Amy DeCrater, far too young, just less sudden, and Amanda Westhouse younger still, same age as Caitlin and I. Pain? Loss? Grief? Absolutely. And in the midst of all that, I still believe in the power of the blood. I still believe in victory in Jesus, and I still believe he leadeth me and all of us. And those soul-crushing moments of death, of diagnosis, of divorce, those are the moments where we need the power of Jesus because nothing else will do. Yet those can be the times where God seems the most far away. Not that we need him any less, not that he has changed. But when those walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we might fear no evil, but God seems distant. And that, North Holland, is where we need each other. That's where we need the communion of saints. And we need each other in that Hebrews 9-5 kind of way that there's more detail to discuss. It was all good stuff that the author was talking about, and yet he moves on to say, we don't have time to talk about this in detail now. There's more detail to discuss than what we can or care to get into on a Sunday morning in the narthex over coffee or on Wednesday night as parades of children go back and forth to the gym for games and back to classrooms again. There's more to our lives than what we have time to discuss in those short spaces. Friends, one thing I'm really clear on right now is that we need to revive small groups here at North Holland. We need people to share deeper with and to surround ourselves with fellow pilgrims of faith on this earthly journey. We need each other at that level. Now, I invite you to check your reaction to that for just a moment. For some, it's like, yeah, totally, we should. That sounds great. Sign me up. Yet right after that might follow a second reaction, or maybe you started with this one. I am too busy. Where would that fit in my already full schedule? Or perhaps, I don't know. I don't know people here very well. I'm not so sure about that. I get kind of embarrassed having people over into my home. I don't want to book something else to go to somebody else's house that I don't know. Well, we don't get to know people by not spending time with them. Or maybe some have a bit of a reaction of, as long as, if we're going to do this small group thing, as long as I can put in a word that I can be with these certain people and not with, well, you know, so and so, because we got some history and that wouldn't work. That's where we turn to Hebrews 9.14. Hebrews 9.14, middle one on the screen, is more than just nice words. The conviction is that our consciences would be cleansed from acts that lead to death, so that we might serve the living God. Check our consciences so that our own stuff, our past hurts, our grudges, our prejudices, don't hinder us in the greater purpose of serving the living God together. Now, here at North Holland, we excel at service. If there's a work project to do, we are happy, ready, and eager to put our sweat equity into it. We excel at service. I wonder if in the midst of all the service and the teaching and lining up volunteers, if we also have a space where we are intentionally minding our consciences, as verse 14 points us to, though and holding one another to godly standards of accountability and to growth. I would love to hear, can you tell me where that's happening in your life? Where are you being challenged by the communion of saints? Where it's more than just the, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. You, yep, doing good. But where is it that you're getting into the depth of your soul? I'd love to hear that, and I'd love to learn from it. Because worship is centrally important. This is our gathering. But there's going to be more to discuss in your life than what anyone really finds time for on a Sunday morning. The crucial moments, crucial moments of life and death, tragedies and traumas that beset us, the events of a funeral, those bring people together. And I found that it's often the best picture of the church that there is, supporting one another in our time of need. Yet that journey of grief and growth doesn't end so quickly. It never really ends. What we need together is a long obedience in the same direction, to borrow a phrase from Eugene Peterson. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We carry one another's burdens, but we're not going to do that in passing and we won't be able to do that very well without intentionality. And without that, we don't grow in the same way. But before you think that getting in small groups would be some boring endeavor to be in a small group with a bunch of North Holland people, I'd like to share that one observation of what it's like getting North Holland people together. We consistently have a good time. North Holland, we are good at serving together, and we're good at having fun together. And that is not to be taken for granted. But it's the practice of also supporting each other. Have some fun, enjoying one another's company, making memories. There's something else to practice in the midst of all this if we were to get together in small groups. It's an ancient Christian practice, and it never went out of style. And it's a word that was very popular here not so long ago. Hospitality. The sermon series that we'll move to after the book of Hebrews is over is about hospitality. Yet we're not redoing what was done 13 years ago. I think there's a perspective that we need to adapt to and learn and lean into in today's world. We have a lot to learn about the hospitality of being a guest, not just a host. I believe in the power of the blood of Jesus and its cleansing, but we live in a world that does not believe that, nor really has any interest in it. We also live in a world where Christians used to be the hosts in many regards, sitting at the center, at the seats of power, but not so much anymore. Christianity and the church is no longer the stakeholders of authority in our culture or of central power. In a way, we're just not the hosts anymore. And we can be mad about that. We can get sad. We can be a little bit indignant or call it unfair. We can fight back to get to the center of power, though that doesn't seem to be the way of Jesus. Or we can look at the ways of Jesus. We can read our Bibles. We can do that together. And we, and we can accept that hospitality is for us also when we are guests at the mercy of our hosts just as much when we are hosts who are in charge of taking care of people's needs. In Some ways we are more comfortable being hosts where we're in charge, we can do the service, we can make sure that everyone's needs are covered. But it can make us a little bit more uncomfortable to be a guest to receive help and not be offering it. We practice hospitality With one another so that we can be ready to be hospitable in the world because when we as the church say we're here to love you many in the world would say you christians don't even love each other seems from the outside that most of the time you don't even like each other so don't tell me that you're here to love me it's a fair assumption and if you have friends who have been burned by the church or who are outside of the church i think you'll hear just that you're here to love us show me you can love each other first, then maybe I'll give you a chance into my life. It's a fair assumption. When we read and sing about Jesus' cleansing blood being a holy power, I think the world hears power and fears that what we're offering to them is poison. We can discuss if that's fair or not. We can argue where our country went wrong. We can be mad about the reputation that Christians have today, but we can't ignore the ownership that we might have in it. Instead, we can practice hospitality with one another and hope that we're prepared, that hospitality is second nature even as guests, that we're prepared to be hospitable in the world when we find ourselves as guests and sometimes even unwanted guests. And don't worry, Jesus already did that when he was a guest in the house of Pharisees. There's really nothing that we can't learn from Jesus that he hasn't already done for us or shown us. And that's why our substance of gathering together, any small group or any work group that we're a part of here, the substance and the culture of it matters because we need to be building one another up as we're told in the New Testament. We need to be carrying one another's burdens as referenced from Galatians. We need to be growing in our gifts from 1 Corinthians and challenging each other in healthy ways that lead in God's paths of unity, purity, and peace. So if you hear small groups, Don't hear that these can become our new cliques. They can't be the echo chambers that we get together with people to give us ammunition to use that dreaded phrase, people have been saying. I hate that phrase, in all honesty. I just hate it. People have been saying, what people? What do you say? Don't report to me what you heard in the gossip train from someone else. What do you say? And who are you saying it to? People have been saying, and I've heard from others, should be replaced with, I was talking with so-and-so. Name them by name. And we are wondering or thinking. If we are to immerse ourselves in the power of Jesus' cleansing blood, it can't be through gossip and idle chatter. It has to be the environment where we say to someone, this sounds like you've got a problem. Maybe it's a problem with that person or a problem in your own life. And then we get challenged in a loving way on how to constructively and lovingly bring it forward. We don't gossip, we don't sneak around to get more people on our side, and we don't attack people or blitz them once we've built up a critical mass to make our case. We practice hospitality. We practice kindness and thoughtfulness in our small groups so that it becomes second nature, it becomes the norm within our culture, that we don't triangulate, okay, I'm going to talk to you about so-and-so so that I don't have to talk to them, but rather we get the challenge instead of saying, sounds like you do have a problem that needs to be confronted. How can I help you think through this so that you are ready to deal with your own problem? And beyond just curbing bad habits that we're all prone to, I don't want this to be the theme of it, beyond curbing bad habits, we pursue good together. And as we saw in the mystery box, we don't do that in isolation. We pursue good together. And when God's people are gathered and when we are in touch with the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus the Lamb, when we do that together, when we are gathered with Christ at the center and the forefront of our minds, then good things start to happen that can change the world or at least our corner of the world. I envision with a greater and more optimistic vision groups gathering together to say, you know what, as a small group, we're going to write handwritten notes, letters to all of our missionaries to encourage them and to reach out to them. We're going to find, maybe another says, we're going to find meaningful ways to bless all of our homebound members. Maybe another says, we're going to talk to Jake and see if we can host something fun and meaningful for our youth. How can we be of service? How can we be of help? We don't struggle for service, though sometimes we struggle for commitment. There is joy where we gather together as God's people, where we can find meaning, purpose, and passion with fellow believers confidence with the presence of Christ within us and around us. And if I'm honest, and part of the point of the letter is that it is the time where I'll maybe say some things a little more honest. I think there's been times in the last nine years, even in the last year, where I felt a maybe a loss of passion, maybe a questioning of confidence. And I wonder if more than anything what's needed is to be a little bit closer and connected within the fellowship of believers, within the communion of saints, where we restore one another and spur one another on towards good deeds. In the Old Testament, as Hebrews 9 reminds us, there was an awful lot of blood on everything. I think we shirk away from that cleansing blood because I think sometimes the cleansing blood of Jesus stings a little bit. We don't want our pettiness or our grudges or the ideas that we've held on to for so long to be washed away by the blood of Christ because some of those ideas and notions and grudges are so much a part of us that it would be like major surgery to remove it from our souls. But that's the power of Christ at work. It is the hard work of the heart work. It is like having surgery on our soul to be in touch with Jesus and to be with a tight-knit communion of saints that is also pushing us in that same direction. And Hebrews 9.14 tells us that we do this for the conscience cleansing, cleansing of our consciences so that we might serve the living God. We end up at the same place. We end up being very good at service with our hearts in it. But we get there by a more faithful and diligent and deeply thought-out road. We get there with Hebrews 9.22, reminding us that the law requires that everything be cleansed with, with blood, with the blood of Jesus. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Brings us right back to that without blood, there's no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there's some pain and sacrifice involved. So around here, we send out a midweek reflection by email and some of that that we can migrate to our app as well. And this week, the questions will be pretty simple as we consider what it's like to immerse ourselves in the blood of Jesus. And I'll give you a preview of what will come to you Wednesday. One, are you interested in being part of a small group? Two, are you interested in hosting one? Three, are you interested and willing to help organize this and pull it off the ground? So give it some thought and give it more than some prayer. And on that Wednesday, you can reply to me, And it'll be there and we can get this thing going because north holland for the best of us it is time to gather together to be intentional to find depth authenticity and growth in christ not in our own ways but in the power of the blood and in the meantime this nine years in there's a lot that i'm celebrating i'm celebrating that the mortgage was paid off last year I'm celebrating a bathroom remodel in, work, in the works. I'm celebrating that we only have a few volunteer spots to fill, as opposed to the not-so-distant-behind-us-COVID days of basically needing everything and having almost nothing. I'm celebrating that I get to teach kids Bible stories on Wednesday nights, and I'm celebrating that I get to make hospital visits like normal again, things that I think matter a great deal. And with Romans 12, in my mind, regarding being transformed by the renewing of your mind, I'm celebrating that I'll be taking a couple classes at the seminary for continuing education. I'm talking to an older and wiser mentor about preaching for my own growth and maturity in the pulpit and looking into a coach to push me on some leadership issues. And for better or for worse, North Holland, I'll still be here, getting old. Let's pray. God, we get used to things. We adjust to the status quo and either acquiesce to it or resent it. But may we be reminded by your Holy Spirit, by your word, and by those that we are in deep intentional fellowship with, through those whom we work with here at church or in a small group that's set aside, may we be reminded of that power in the blood that never gets old, that never fades, that never leaves us stale or dry or without passion, purpose, conviction, confidence, or meaning, but rather that sacred power in the blood that you shed for us once and for all, that we might be renewed, that we might be sent out, that we might have cleansed consciences and accountability from godly brothers and sisters. Lord, for this we give you thanks, and we pray that your blood to us may never get old that our satisfaction with you, that our amazement with your grace may never fade and that we never grow out of touch with it, but rather that together as one church, as your body, we may be always growing in our marvel of grace and our heart for service. In your holy name we pray, O Christ. Amen.